everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Edge, where we have been living in the book of Ephesians for three months. I'm your host, Scott Logan, and Thanksgiving is upon us. As a matter of fact, it'll be here before our next episode of The Edge, which means on next week's show, when you hear this, that's the sound of my jowls after all of the weight gain. What always happens every year in the Logan household is that we make way too much food for the amount of people that we host. And because in my mind, I'm like a food rescue mission, I can never let this food go to waste. Now, my wife does not like leftovers. She very rarely enjoys eating the same food two times in a row, where I'll eat exclusively turkey, potatoes, stuffing, and pie for a week. So if on next week's show you keep hearing random groans like, you know it's because the piggy was at the trough and needs to lie down. Now, somehow, in some way, let's transition from that to the writings of Paul. We're continuing on in our trek through the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 by now moving away from how the church should behave itself and placing the focus on the behavior of the individual Christian, you know, by focusing on the gluttony of thanksgiving. In chapters 1 to 3, Paul tells us what a new creation is. And in chapters 4 to 6, he tells us how a new creation lives, how we should behave. We have a lot of ground to cover, so let's get into it. Let's pick up where we left off in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17 says, Therefore I say this, and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity, with a desire for more and more." All right, let's stop there for a second because we need to first clarify something so that no one is confused or thinks that this is contradictory to our previous studies about the unity of Jews and Gentiles in this newly formed church that Paul is talking about. In verse 17, he says, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. One might hear that and say, hey, Paul was just talking about unity within the body between Jews and Gentiles, and now he's trashing on the Gentiles? Glad you brought that up, sir or madam, and thank you for paying attention. We need to understand that in the original manuscripts, there are two uses of the word Gentile. There is a nationalistic use of the word and also a religious use of the word. The word Gentile is the Greek word ethnos, and it's kind of an umbrella term that means nations, peoples, heathens, and pagans. On one hand, ethnos, or Gentile, refers to an ethnic group of non-Jews, racially speaking. On the other hand, it religiously means people who do not know God. So when Paul is using the word Gentile here about not walking as they do, he's not just painting with a wide brush all non-Jews, but rather using the religious definition of the word talking about those who don't know God and are of the world. 
So, now that we know who we are talking about, uh, being those who do not have Christ as their Savior, let's look again at what Paul has to say to us. Verses 17 through 19. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, or the world walks, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. So, the way that we live our lives should look radically different than the way that non-believers live their lives. Sometimes that can be a difficult task, especially when in certain environments. Paul was writing to a people who understood just how difficult it was to live a life that was separated from the world. Just like we are today, the Christians in Ephesus were inundated with secular influence and carnality. When we first started this study, I introduced the book of Ephesians by telling you just how corrupt Ephesus was. I even called it the dingy capital of the Roman Empire. Their religion in Ephesus was sex. They worshipped the goddess Diana, who was also known as Artemis, and they worshipped her as a sex goddess. The temple of Diana was an asylum for criminals, and the worship within the temple was, well, there's no other way to put it, orgiastic. The place was packed with thousands of priestesses and temple prostitutes, singers and dancers, and big orgies would break out between them all. An unknown writer of that day described it saying, The worship was a kind of hysteria, where the people with shouts and music worked themselves into frenzies of shameless sexual activity, including mutilation and self-mutilation. The Greek philosopher Heraclitus, who was from Ephesus himself, said, the darkness of vileness. The morals were lower than animals, and the inhabitants of Ephesus were fit only to be drowned. So that was the culture that the Christians in Ephesus had to live in. The Church of Jesus was an island existing in a cesspool, a cesspool where the good people were fed the lions for entertainment. Even in the face of that, Paul said, you've got to be different. You can't walk like they walk. You can't do what they do. Why? Because people who are not in Christ can't think straight on moral or spiritual issues. They may try to sound educated and try to articulate the issues, but they leave out spiritual dimensions because they're blind to them. Paul says, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. In some translations, it says vanity of their mind. The Greek word for futility or vanity is matayotes. It means what is devoid of truth and appropriateness. It also means perverseness uh, and depravity. So a person's understanding apart from Jesus is devoid of truth and appropriateness. It's perverse and depraved. We see that every day in our world. To the world, immoral is moral. They take ungrounded philosophical thought processes and make entire religious systems out of them. The reason why is because apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, 
we have no real understanding of what's right and what's wrong. Apart from God, we are, as we've said before, spiritually dead. That's why the unbeliever is incapable of true understanding when it comes to moral and spiritual issues. It's like handing a math problem to a corpse in the casket. That's why we shouldn't walk as the world walks. I think the unfortunate thing today is how many Christians adopt and copy the world's beliefs, their thought patterns, convictions, and behaviors. Many times a Christian will even do this and call it evangelism. The problem with that is that you're not on the island pulling people out of the cesspool. You're just a part of the cesspool too. You're a part of the bride of Christ, the church. As a Christian, you are positionally separated from the rest of the world and called to live accordingly. The world is proud and you're called to be humble. The world is fragmented and you're called to be united. The world is hateful and you're called to be motivated both in thoughts and actions by love. The world doesn't know the truth, but you do. Because of those things, you're called to be different and to walk differently than the world does. You can't accomplish the goals of Christ by living the way the world lives because living like the world lives would be imitating the dead. It doesn't make a lot of sense if you truly realize who you are in Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same resolve, because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing the will of the pagans, again that Greek word ethnos, uh, the Gentile, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. Now in 1 John chapter 2, it says in verse 15, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. Now, back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. What Paul is talking about is something that many of us have been guilty of at certain times in our own walks, even as Christians, and that is desensitization. In verse 19, there is a Greek word used called alpageo. It translates as beyond feeling. Those who are beyond feeling have lost their sense of pain. There is a condition called congenital insensitivity to pain with anhydrosis. People with this disorder are incapable of feeling pain, and they'll tell you that it's far more a curse than a blessing. People who can't feel pain may accidentally hurt themselves by placing their hand on a hot burner and not realizing that they just burned their hand. Feeling pain is important to a healthy body. Paul uses this because people who embrace wicked philosophy and continually expose themselves to carnality lose their sensitivity to evil 
And then that starts to snowball from thoughts in the mind to our external behavior. But there's a but. In verse 20, it says, but that is not how you learned about the Messiah, assuming you heard him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus. Notice the transition that Paul makes here. When Paul starts in with the word but, notice that the opposite of the depravity that we've been talking about isn't just a code of good conduct and behavior, it's Jesus. The opposite of being lost and depraved is being in Jesus. You don't have bad, then good, then Jesus. There is bad, and then there is Jesus. I taught on this at my home church a few weeks ago, that goodness cannot be separated as its own thing apart from God. Goodness is only found in Christ. So Paul reminds us that a life with Christ is a life of victory over the darkness and depravity of the lost. If one doesn't have Christ, then the truth isn't in them, and they can't find it for themselves. At the point of salvation, we're brought into union with Jesus, where our state of spiritual death ends with him on the cross, and we're resurrected with him and given a life where Jesus guides our thoughts and actions. In verses 22 to 24, it says, You took off your former way of life, the old man that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new man, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Paul conveys this picture of our old man or old sin nature and our new man in new divine nature as sets of clothes. How do you live your life now that you are positionally sanctified in God's eyes? You live like someone positionally sanctified by shedding off the old clothes, shedding off the old man that is corrupted by deceitful desires. That outfit was disgusting. It looked and smelled like a decaying corpse. Now, through the power of Jesus, you can put on the new man suit and notice that the new man doesn't go over the old clothes. Those need to be removed and taken off completely. And then you dress in the new outfit created according to God's likeness. What does the new suit look like? Look at Jesus. Always kind and good and never selfish. Always loving and thoughtful of other people. Guys, when you look at this passage, do you see just how much of this has to do with the mind? The mind is the epicenter of this transformation. In verse 17, we read about the futility of their minds. In verse 18, the darkening of their understanding. In 20, the learning of Jesus. And in 23, the renewing of our minds by Jesus. To not walk like the world does starts with how we think and the renewing of our minds. Once we are in Christ, we think different about our sin than we used to think. We think different about God than we used to think. We think different about Christ than we used to think. We think different about what we ought to do with our lives than we used to think. It's a new thinking process that brings us to salvation, and salvation is a change of mind. That's really what the word repentance means, to change your mind, a new thinking process. So, the pagan, or ethnos, as we learn today, thinks one way, and we think another way. And not because we just naturally changed our minds, but because the power of God got a hold of us 
and none other. Well, guys, that's going to be it for this week. If you want to know more about The Edge, then please visit our website, theedgepodcast.com. All of our social links are at the top right corner of the page, such as Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I hope that you guys have a fantastic Thanksgiving this week. Thanks for listening to The Edge. Until next week, I'm Scott Logan, and as always, live on The Edge.